HR Unwrapped is sponsored by Peninsula, the UK and Ireland's most trusted provider of employment law, HR and health and safety services. Established in 1983 and headquartered right here in Manchester, Peninsula's range of services includes HR support, health and safety training, tax and payroll advice and employee assistance programmes. Today, the Peninsula Group is a global operation with offices in Canada, Australia and New Zealand, supporting more than 100,000 small businesses. Welcome to HR Unpacked, a podcast about HR workplace issues where we analyse and then discuss the latest developments in HR and employment law that impact both employers and employees. We will unpack the latest legislation and regulations to provide practical guidance on how to tackle the HR issues that are affecting the world of work. My name is Dr. Jonathan Lord from Salford Business School. And hi, yeah, I'm Kate Palmer. I'm the HR Director here at Peninsula. So welcome to the podcast where we'll be focusing on the COVID rules that have affected us all over the past two years and impacted permanently how the world of work will look in the future. Thanks, Kate. Well, what a what a two years it's been. And before we actually analyse um, the COVID regulations and the impact of COVID, let's reflect a little bit on on what the government have, have introduced um, that's affected us over the last two years. Let's look at the actual timeline of it, because I think sometimes you forget what we've been through over the last two years. So the first national lockdown happened in between March and June 2020, two long years ago. So um, most countries in the, in the United Kingdom were um, were applied to a national lockdown where non-essential high street businesses were closed and people were ordered to stay at home. And they're only permitted to leave for essential purposes, such as buying food or for medical reasons. After a couple of months, laws were slowly relaxed. People were permitted to start to leave um, the home for outdoor recreation beyond exercise. It was a very, very challenging times and, and really unprecedented for most people um, across the country. From July to September 2020, the minimum minimal lockdown restrictions were applied. So most hospitality businesses were permitted to reopen. New health and safety guidance on operating businesses were published, ensuring they were COVID secure, which is a phrase we've now probably taken for granted in all our working lives. However, November 2020 saw the second national lockdown. National restrictions were introduced in England and other countries within the United Kingdom. And again, during the second national lockdown, non-essential high street businesses were closed and people were prohibited from meeting those not in their support bubble. And again, another term which we've come to uh, get used to, support bubble. In December 2020, the the government became a lot more intelligent in terms of how they're reacting to the to the uh, pandemic and they introduced a tiered system or reintroduced it but they had modifications with it and each area within the united kingdom were assigned to a certain tier and based on that tier they had certain amounts of restrictions applied created a lot of division within the country and between the political parties as well from january to march 2021 there was a third national lockdown again you forget what's happened and during this period january to march 2021 the four-tier system was introduced because of the alpha variant and this terminology variant 
became very, very important in terms of how the government reacted and he's still reacting to the pandemic. So the third lash of lockdown were very similar to the first lockdown. People were told to stay, people were told to stay at home, could still form support bubbles, and some gatherings were banned as well. And from March to July 2021 saw an easing and what's known as the, the leaving of, of lockdown, a phased exit from lockdown. A four-point plan was introduced. And the governments introduced various plans in their nations and they termed it cautiously but irreversibly easing lockdown restrictions. And f- from July 2021 to really the present day, we've seen a five-point plan to manage the virus. It's been well recognised that the pandemic has impacted us all, but it's very difficult to go back to a national lockdown. And the five-point plan covers things such as reinforcing the country's vaccine wall of defence. That's the biggest defence against the pandemic, encouraging people who are eligible to have the vaccine. The second point of the plan was to enable the public to make informed decisions a key aspect of the government, let the public make their own decisions. The third point, retain proportional test, trace and isolate plans. The fourth point, manage risks at the border and support a global response as well. So you're including other countries in the approach. And the final aspect of the of the plan was to retain contingency measures. That's the government being very, very nervous about saying the pandemic is over and there are no further restrictions. There's always that contingency whereby we could go back to certain measures. So, Kate, what what a, a time it's been for us all. Um, what's your kind of thoughts and um, reflections on the, over the last two years? Yeah, absolutely, Jonathan. I mean, when you lay it all out like that, it, it's no wonder businesses and employees alike have been confused because just some of the things and, and, and challenges they've been faced with, you know, consequences of schools closing, asking people to come back to the workplace, section 44, where people believe that there's a reasonable, they have a reasonable um, threat of a serious and imminent risk at work, flexible furlough, job retention scheme, job support scheme, the list kind of goes on, doesn't it? Let alone pandemic when, you know, we, we had calls of people being pinged eight times over the space of a short period. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's it's crazy for want of a better word what we've been through and and obviously really challenging for employees employees alike but but we are there and we're in a situation now where it feels more contained at a hasten I say with um some hesitation but but is the reality and I think the five point plan to manage the virus that has been in place since July has has allowed for some calmness um some normality but the queries go on and and the queries that we're getting at the moment certainly here at Peninsula are very much around employees and resistance of vaccine how businesses approach that do they encourage do they force do they adopt a no jab no job policy Um, and certainly for for care homes and health and, and social care settings the mandatory vaccine, which is, you know, up in the air a little bit for the latter category, but certainly they're in flight for, for care homes. So, wow, we so, so much going on, Jonathan. Um, and, you know, we we have continued throughout the pandemic and, you know, our demand, you know, one day we were up at 10,000 calls in a day. We normally deal with about one and a half thousand. So that just reflects that the noise, the uncertainty and, and the, the need for, 
questions being answered out there for businesses. So, so much to contend with, Jonathan. That's amazing. 10,000 calls in a day. I mean, that just demonstrates how important HR is in terms of the advice you need to give. Yeah. But how reliant companies are on on HR and, and you know, companies that do provide that support. The, the, the big thing for me was around the the impact on the different sectors. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned the care sector, it, you know, it's been a massive, massive impact upon the care sector in terms of the societal aspects of it, you know, where people are not allowed to go and visit relatives. But, you know, Definitely. the working environment now, you know, how many people are going to lose the job because they don't want to get vaccinated and they have got, you know, what they think is legitimate reasons. Yeah. How do you think the care sector is going to react, you know, to, to, this, to this plan to coming out of the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, we've had a real variety of queries. We've had some care home managers ringing and saying they don't agree with what's being implemented and do they have to do it? Of course, the answer is yes to that. So we help them through it. Um, and then we've, have other, we've had other care home managers calling and saying, you know, I, I'm frustrated at my staff resisting it. They, they're going to get dismissed and no one wants that. What what, what process do I need to follow, etc.? But the key thing for care homes now is attraction and retention, you know, an obvious point but if, if you're looking for a new job you you've got to be a certain type of person a very resilient person to go and work in the care industry now when you've seen what's been in the media and and what's been going on etc and, and you can understand why there's an attraction issue um but but likewise attrition and retention with forced dismissals and the great resignation as they're calling it in flight it's just perpetuated and amplified and it's really challenging. Keeping that workforce motivated and uplifted and engaged is, is just such a challenge for care homes as it stands. And and one, a lot a lot of care homes are rising to it, but but two, it's damn hard and, and it's a very difficult sector to be working in at the moment. It is and and the the organizations that we support at the university, we found that, especially in the care sector, the, the complication for those um businesses and organizations is that the mandatory vaccines are only applicable for the care quarter commission providers yeah. or regulated services and yeah. sometimes you know especially voluntary sector organizations they provide care quality regulated um, services but they also provide other services where they are face-to-face support for people with disabilities you know and, and mental health issues and there is that big concern around how do you manage a workforce? It's like a two-tier workforce. Yeah. You know, you can have a vaccinated workforce that are that have to be vaccinated, and then you've got a workforce that won't be vaccinated. And then you've got a further division as well, whereby you've got a workforce that isn't regulated by the Care Quality Commission, and therefore they're saying, well, I don't have to get vaccinated. So it, it's an absolute minefield, and I don't know yeah. really how employers are going to manage that. No, I mean, it's re- it's really difficult. It's about explaining the whys, the reasons, et cetera, but there's no perfect answer to it, That that's for sure, because that the reality is you treat people differently, you're doing the same or similar job, you get division, and, and there's no there's no way around that. And I, I think what'll be, what's going to add to the challenge for care homes is, is if self-isolation gets lifted um, come the 24th of March, has, as you know, it's been referenced, it's been mentioned by the government as being a potential you know how how's that how are they going to navigate that issue people potentially allowed to come into work with covid i mean what are they going to do there are they uh, i don't know the answer quite yet jonathan but are they going to say no you've got to stay at home and we'll pay you are they going to enforce self isolation will they be able to pay ssp 
I just think, you know, that if, if it does happen on the 24th of March, it's not too far around the corner and they're only just getting to grips with the mandatory vaccination. But I think that's the next hurdle to have to conquer. And I can't envisage that one being an easy one either. No. And, and it, you know, reflecting upon what, what organisations might have to do is, I mean, they could potentially, you know, it is dividing the work, workforce up a little bit, but they could kind of risk assess risk assess um, workers mainly, you know, maybe maybe on an individual basis yeah. or through job families and say, this is the risk that you pose in terms of the support you're providing to, to those group of people. And therefore you have to have a mandatory vaccination and that's our yeah. organisational policy. Because obviously, you know, the issues that could arise is discrimination. Are you discriminated against the worker or the group of workers by asking them to be mandatory vaccinated? So one of the possible ways potentially is to kind of do risk assessments individually or for groups of workers. And to, and, and that's the way to attack it. But it, but it will vary for each um, organisation and how they want to kind of try and implement the mandatory vaccine um, processes. And there's, there's also the consideration of, of the the organization's ethics as well you know do they ethically want staff to be vaccinated because that then will, will, will provide a more secure workforce yeah yeah and the latter we've we've definitely seen trickling through shall we say to our hr advisors in that people have such a, a strong view of of the vaccine and that's impacting their decision making and 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 the way forward so that's definitely trickling through but I think what will be interesting over the over the coming months is the litigation that arises from from every industry really that that is covid related you know we're starting to see cases come through the tribunal process now where um they're arriving at findings albeit only at tribunal level so not binding but where the judge and the panel are forming a view on how people have responded to not coming into work and the vaccine and and the way they've been treated and selected for furlough. So that's one I think we've really got to keep our eye on. I mean, tribunals at the minute are being listed for, you know, 2024, I'm seeing coming through. But we're going to get some litigation over the coming months that that will be really insightful and, and interesting, really, from an HR perspective to see how, this all pans out and how the tribunal um, judge makes forms his decisions based on the way people have been treated over this time. Cause I, I envisage there's going to be quite a lot of it. Yeah. It, it will boil down to the, to the philo- philosophical belief in yeah. the majority of them, you know, is not, is being an anti-vaxxer. You want to label it that isn't, is being an anti-vaxxer, their philosophical belief. And yeah. as you know, with tribunals, they look at the individual case and the, in, and the individual um the claim and, and you know it will be done on, done on that kind of basis and there won't be a blanket a- approach to it to say that all anti-vaxxers do have a philosophical belief but it will be tested and, and it will take time and i can't really see a way around it in terms of the law you know because it because it is such a long waiting list at the moment for, for cases to be heard yeah how they're gonna um how they're gonna really um implement what the government are asking and the government may, may need to step in and, and clarify the rules and regulations more because it is. It, I think the the mandatory vaccine regulations are confusing. It, it doesn't help every organisation. It helps the NHS, I think, because they're regulated quite heavily by the Care Quality Commission. But other organisations aren't, and that's no. where the difficulties will be. Yeah, d- definitely. I mean, you know, you've got all even even office places, offices, and workplaces that where you wouldn't foresee that the the vaccine would need to be made mandatory because of the role that they do 
some are implementing a mandatory position on that. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the view, what view is formed on, on being quite forceful and forthright in that position. Okay, so we've kind of looked at what what covid um what the regulations have been and what we've done over yeah. the last two years so so what from your perspective kate are the current um changes to the, to the covid workplace regulations yeah well i mean obviously it, it, things are changing all the time but the, the prominent ones at the moment and certainly of late in the past week or so has been that the government is no longer asking people to work from home which is probably the most prominent issue we're certainly getting calls on and that businesses are grappling with um a peripheral issue but masks are no longer compulsory in secondary schools covid passes will no longer be compulsory to gain entry to venues and events face masks no longer compulsory in public spaces albeit seen on the news this morning some supermarkets were were, have confirmed and retail outlets have confirmed that they're ensuring that or maintaining a compulsory position um and some specifics around care home but the big one for care homes excuse me but the big one for businesses is is clearly that working from home directive being lifted in England that is and and other jurisdictions are following suit but but that's that's difficult you know when suddenly you're told that that no longer applies and you've had people at home for two years two and a half years or or certainly temporarily since the Omicron variant came into fruition how do they approach that how do they deal with that And, and certainly that's the bulk of calls we're getting at the moment Jonathan and it's all about a case by case basis uh, comes landing with that individual in the right way some businesses deciding that working from home is the way forward now and changing their quite traditional position on it and that they had pre-covid so a whole host of things coming forward related to the working from home directive being lifted well the 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 yougov um stats that are coming out is that um 39 of people they surveyed um are reluctant to return to the workplace and I found that quite quite a low percentage. Actually, I thought there'd be a much higher percent percentage. There is other other questions built into it as well. Another another response responses they could give, but thirty nine percent. You know, that's over one in three are reluctant to return back to the workplace, and it, it's how employers are going to um, going to navigate that. You know, can you force employees back? You know, we're in an environment, and and you know, we've discussed it before, Kate, about you know, at the moment, recruitment is really in the power of the of the of the um the person applying for the job so because of brexit and other reasons employees are finding it difficult to recruit talent yeah. and if people are refusing to return back to the workplace you know what do they do how on earth can they do it how on earth can they get you know not just forcing people but psychologically people have been at home for Definitely. two years settled into a routine got used to it how do you force people to come back? Yeah, I think the first question, I mean, I, I, I actually think 39% is quite low. I would have thought it would be higher. But in practice, I think a lot of people, for, for many, the novelty of working at home has worn off. You know, it, it can be challenging. Um, but moving on from that, I think the first question for an employer is, do you want to force people? Bef- before you get even into the position of, you know, executing those cons about a return, just, just take a breath, sit down. Has it actually been beneficial for you has it worked does it save you money on a load of office premises or you know um leases and so forth so just take a step back and think do you want to do it and then I think if the decision is yes depending on context industry roles etc you've got to think that one comms does not suit all so you might want to put out a comms to say you know we're thinking about this we're looking at this date 
But then I think you need to break that down and speak to each individual because you touched on a key word there. It's, it's all about the psychology of it. And if an individual is terrified about returning to the workplace, then one, you need to make sure that your COVID measures are in place to ensure that it's it's safe and reasonable to ask them to return. But if it is, you need to be adapting your comms for that particular individual. You know, things like, do you need to allow them to come in and have a tour when no one's there? Do you need to send them a video of a person that has returned about the realities of it not maybe being as bad as they've kind of built it up to be? Um, do you need to get some EAP support, employee assistance program that, medical support, counselling, expert advice to help them overcome that barrier. Do you want to change hours of work so they're not on the train when it's busy? I I think you've really got to break it down to individual conversations, Jonathan, because I truly believe one size of comms does not fit all. And with the Great Resignation, which we'll go on to discuss in a moment, there's this counter-argument about the Great Reshuffle as well. So it's led nicely into our next discussion point, the Great Resignation then. So... This is a phenomenon which, you know, um, it's been discussed before in, in, other, in other time frames, but it's really come to fruition over the last two years. And the Great Resignation um, kind of describes the record number of people leaving their jobs after the COVID-19 pandemic ends. So it's, it's people resigning now and planning to resign in the future. And the company's having to navigate this ripple effect of the pandemic. What's your kind of take on the Great Resignation, Kate? Well, it's real. It's definitely happening. Um, the, for, for various reasons, people are deciding to, a lot of people, should I say, are deciding to jump ship, change roles. I think a lot of that is just directly related to COVID. You know, life is short. <laughs> um, a bit of a, an epiphany. You know, what am I doing? Am I happy? Do I want to do this for the foreseeable? And it's it's enabling people to make confident decisions that they might not have made before because the COVID situation has reset the thinking. Um, And it's happening, you know, it's a reality. And with that, business, some businesses, I would stress, are struggling with maintaining continuity of service and quality of service. And for that reason, they're having to think quick and be quite innovative in their approach, you know, reviewing how they recruit and attract, reviewing reward packages, reviewing how they treat the staff that are there because don't forget you want them to stay if if you, they leave then you've got a bigger problem um you know so there's a whole host of creative things that are going on thinking about flexible working um and more meaningful things i mean money is not the sole motivator it's not the main motivator for many people so what that employment relationship is like how meaningful and deep is is it Do, do you really evidence care and safety, the social safety net, as, as it's called? You know, are you, are you really accounting for people's safety, welfare? Do you, do you show your care? There's loads of stuff going on. Um, but what I, I can say for sure is, is businesses can't just sit there and focus on the service because if they're not focusing on the people, they're not going to get the service and they're going to be really compromised by by levers and lack of attraction i i agree i mean it's and and the other thing on top of that it's nothing new i know i know people think that you know the covid pandemic is has been a really um a new thing and it has probably for 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 the generations that are around at the moment it's probably a new thing but we've had pandemics before the spanish flu in the early 1900s so if you look back on history and how companies have reacted to it not just the pandemics but um economic and societal events yeah you know, 
think things have um, things can be looked at and, and be adopted again. And all the things you talked about, I mean, welfare is a, a big one. Yeah. Um, ra- round trees and cabries, they, they're steeped in the well in the welfare history of their employees. Um, round trees had the first welfare officer that was known to operate um, in the UK, where they literally went round and, and if people weren't weren't well and not in work, they would go round and provide um, support for them, tangible support in terms of food and welfare. Yeah. So it's not a new concept, but welfare will be at the heart of this. I think. I think welfare is is the key element, and like you said. The CIPD do the recruitment and retention report every year. And obviously, like you said, you know, the, the salary is up there and remuneration is up there. But it's about the, you know, the organization. Do I want to work for Peninsula? Do I want to work for the University of Salford? Yeah. Do I want to work for this organization? And that's what the organization's got to do now. They've got to sell the organization. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. You know, cultural alignment, moral alignment. What does the organisation do for CSR as well? What, is, what do we put into the community? How uh, th- Those more meaningful things that have more depth than a quick 5% pay rise that's very soon forgotten about. Uh, I, I totally agree with you, Jonathan. I'm very much at the heart of creating a good, strong culture where people want to work and stay. I know I know we've attended quite a few events and, and yeah. when we've tried to encapsulate you know, what employers need to do, it's around tailoring your, your recruitment process mm. it's about empathy training make sure managers have that hem- empathy you know it's not just about managing and leading people to get towards a goal it's about supporting them along that journey as well yeah and the other thing that's come out of, of reports from the cipd and, and other organizations around embracing career changes yeah and this is where this concept of the great reshuffle has come from so you've got the great resignation which you know in in the in the usa you've got you know one in four um, employees have resigned or are likely to resign over the next year. You know, the same kind of stats are coming out of the UK as well. But the great reshuffle is, is the kind of counter-argument or the antidote to it, whereby organisations accept people want to change careers yeah. and they look for people that they haven't traditionally looked for as well. Would you say that's a kind of a, a good way of attacking the problem of the great resignation yeah I do it's a really sensible one isn't it you know people wanting to and I can talk as give a case in point really you know here at Peninsula we've done a people management scheme um you know we historically would always always interview and appoint HR traditional HR um candidates but you know there's been people from hospitality um retail who are really good solid managers and they want to get into purist HR. And we've we've done that, you know, here at Peninsula, we've done a people manager scheme. They need a different type of training. They need, you know, a, a different level of, of, of coaching. They, they need to learn the, the, the technicalities, the law, but they're they damn good at managing people and giving really good practical advice. And, you know, that's been a real good recruitment stream for, for us and allowed people to make a complete career change. And then we build a career pathway internally um aligning ourselves to their skills and putting them into different roles within peninsula so i, I suppose that what you're describing there I, I, there's there's a real life example of, of what we've done here at peninsula jonathan and it absolutely works it has worked and you mentioned hybrid work and i think that will become um a, a really i think it'll just be a normal process now we know we've we're doing research at the moment around um whether organizations are um do have hybrid working and the majority do because they've had to have it but also the majority of organizations want hybrid work in the future because like you said 
operationally it saves the money you know yeah. speaking quite bluntly it does save the the organization money so there's nothing wrong with that yeah but also people can work effectively remotely as well you know you, we've got the technology now to do it we've got the trust there's a, a really big trust element again we're, we're researching trust yeah um within organizations over the last two years how has trust diminished or grown and the organizations that we've interviewed for this the majority said the actual trust relationship between um the owners and the employees or the managers and the staff members has really grown because they've been supported through furlough and, and other schemes but the, the the you know the the caring nature of the organization has really come out because of the had to do i suppose but it's really demonstrated that an organization is more than an employer yeah it's not just somebody that gives people work and pays them at the end of the day it's about having that impact on the life as well because you spend so much time at work with other people mm. the employer should be a, a caring employer and you know looking at hybrid working is is going to be the norm i think yeah 100 percent. and i always say to my team here i know it sounds like a bit of a, a left field analogy but the employment relationships like you know a, a marriage you meet your core everything's shiny and new you've got to attract them in the first place but then if you don't care for each other and you don't work and come up with solutions and be agile and talk and have good communications you get divorced i.e the employee leaves you and goes to someone else um so you know we it's it's very no that sounds a bit of a left field analogy but it really is like that you've got to have a meaningful relationship you've got to talk you've got to resolve problems when they arise it's it's there's so much more of the as you say the human in the employment relationship it's not just a transactional come in give you your wage see you next month see you on monday it's you walk away with a spring in your step and thinking, haven't I had a great week? And that's where employers need to be at if they're going to be the best and they're going to attract and retain the best. They've got to show meaningfulness in the relationship. And and the kind of final thing for me on this point is around technology. Yeah. You know, I know we've, we've got accustomed to utilize, utilizing things like Teams and Zoom and, and other technologies for, for, for meetings and communicating with people remotely. But it's about te- technology being embedded in the whole employment relationship. You've got organizations like MetaView who've got really good interview software, whereby sometimes it's automated a little bit and it makes it more slick and more effective and efficient, whereby you, you know, you've got a really good um, process whereby you're really handpicking people, but it's more automated than it has been previously as well. Yeah. It does take a long time going through it. So, Definitely. you know, really embrace technology and you know, rather than just having, um, you know, career chats, again, use technology. There's a company called Attrax, and they have a career site system, and there are other ones as well. But career site systems, again, it shows the the, the employees that you really care about them. And it's not just a, a tick box exercise when you do appraisals and then link it to progression. You really have a plan for people about what they, what they want to do and what's feasible within the organization as well. So I think technology, not just in the, in the management and the operational side of, of things in terms of teams meetings, it's around having technology embedded throughout the whole employment relationship. Yeah. And, it, and it's a really good point. And, you know, o- over the past two and a half years, just, just think of all those, all of us that might not have even used teams, <laughs> you know, and, and we, we can't wait to get off teams these days because we're sick of videos, but you know, th- that change <laughs> of mindset around technology and, embracing it and seeing what's out there to to aid the 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 depth and the success of the relationship yeah i totally agree it is is really key well i'm going to draw the podcast to a close then so 
we've kind of gone over um, a very long two years um, in in the UK, and hopefully it's enabled you to reflect upon um, what has happened. Because I think we do we do lose sight of what we've been through, and you kind of get accustomed, and it kind of it's been normalised somewhat. Um, and it's always good to kind of reflect on on what we've been through over the last two years, and and your um, stat Kate around ten thousand calls in one day is just you know it's a real stark yeah. indication of how businesses have relied upon organizations like yourself and HR to really navigate unprecedented times really yeah I mean I'm not gonna lie it's been the most challenging I've been in HR for, for over 20 years it's been the most challenging two years certainly of my career because we have HR has been needed more than ever and you know there's these old uh, kind of perceptions of HR being an obstruction rather than an enabler and, and I hope over the past two years businesses have really seen in fact how HR and and businesses like Peninsula and, and teams of experts like we've got here are real are a real need and an enabler and you know aid navigation around difficult issues and aid planning really and now hopefully they can change the mindset and stop living in the here and now and responding to government changes on a Friday night at 5pm and think about the longevity and the success of their their business and fit the skills of HR into that and, and get working on engagement, reward strategy, planning, operations, HR operations, and, and really see the add value that expertise like like we have and our teams have, Jonathan, can, can really demonstrate value add for businesses. I completely agree. And, you know, to try and summarize it a little bit from what from what you've said, it's, you know, it's around knowing what the candidate wants and tailoring your process to recruitment and to retention, about empathy training for all people within the organization, no matter what level they're at. It's about embracing career changes, about offering hybrid working and more flexibility in the working relationship, understanding that culture still matters. I think that's key. And you mentioned it, Kate. Yeah. Culture still matters. You know, this famous phrase, it's around, make sure I get this one right, culture eats strategy for breakfast and culture yeah. dictates everything. You can have the, the best strategies in the world, but it's culture that dictates it. Definitely. Totally agree, Jonathan. And, and finally, don't be scared of, of technology and automation. You know, that is the future. Automation is the future. Um, you know, there's big research by uh, in at Harvard at the moment around all the jobs that will be automated in the future. And it's quite scary looking at it. You know, the, there's... 500 jobs that they've identified that will be automated and it covers virtually all aspects of, of the of jobs. So it's about embracing the fact that jobs will change in the future and we'll have less jobs around, you know, where we do things manually. And then it's more of a requirement of jobs where you have to think. And that's where the kind of the talent recruitment will lie in the future. Okay. Well, thanks, Kate. Um, Thank you. My name is Dr. Jonathan Lord. And my name is Kate Palmer. Thank you for your time today. You can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and other platforms. Just search for HR Unpacked. HR Unpacked is sponsored by Peninsula, providers of professional services to small businesses across the UK. Their services go beyond employment law and HR to cover health and safety management, insurance, employee well-being and much more besides. Peninsula service is always provided by a hand-picked team of experts so you can be sure you're getting the best, all of which means more peace of mind for you and more time for you to concentrate on what you do best, growing your business. Established and headquartered right here in Manchester, 
they now provide services to small businesses in Ireland, Australia, New Zealand and Canada, meaning that more people than ever are protected by Peninsula.